as I'm sure you've been able to tell, we have an Easter theme going here, so it's kind of Easter in January, Um, and that's that's good. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, but uh, of course we come now to Luke chapter 24 uh, and the account of our Lord's empty tomb. So I invite you to turn with me to to Luke chapter 24, and as you do that, uh, I'll let you know that if all things continue on as planned... Lord willing, we should come to the end of our study in Luke by the end of February. Now, as you know, with me, things rarely go as planned, so I'll ask that you not hold me too rigidly to that, but uh, that is how I have it scheduled, so we'll see how it goes. Um, But we are on the home stretch, right? Uh, Here we are at the end, and given the amount of time that we've spent in Luke, It's tempting to sort of plow ahead with all speed to reach the finish line. Uh, These stories, the resurrection and his appearances, uh, and then his ascension are all, after all, very familiar stories to us. And so it seems that we could sort of skim them, uh, just kind of move through them pretty simply, uh, and not be too much worse for it in the long run. But as I'm sure you can imagine, and as I'm sure you would have expected, I want to encourage us not to do that. One, uh, because we have been very deliberate with our study up until this point, and there's no reason to stop doing that now. Uh, But then secondly, and more importantly, uh, much like the crucifixion last week, this last chapter of Luke is critical. Not only to understanding the work of Christ, which we spent a lot of time sort of expounding on last week, but it's also critical in understanding uh, our place and our experience of that work. Uh, Remember, last week we left Jesus truly and completely dead. Uh, having endured the the physical and emotional and spiritual judgment for his people's sin, and he had been buried in a borrowed tomb, uh, an unused tomb. The stone had been rolled in place, seemingly sealing his fate, sealing his humiliation. And so, in many ways, as we will see, for his disciples, it seemed that all hope was lost. And truthfully, if that was the end of the story, if there was no Luke 24, all hope would be lost. You remember Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, as critical, as absolutely essential as Christ's crucifixion and humiliation is to our salvation, it is, Paul says, meaningless without Christ's exaltation. 
without him today being alive. To put it more personally, there is no hope for you or I, sinners. There is no hope in pain and tribulation. There's no hope in a lost world. There's no hope around a cancer bed or around a graveside. And friends, let's be honest. We have spent lots of times at New Albany Presbyterian Church around gravesides in the last few years. There's no hope there, period, end of story, full stop, without an empty tomb, without a resurrected, exalted, ascended Savior. And so my point is, is we can't just tack the resurrection on to the end of Jesus' story, as we so often seem to do. It's not just an afterthought. It's not a footnote to the story. No, to do so, again, as Paul said, would mean misrepresenting God's plan of salvation. It would minimize the work of Christ, and it would leave us. It does so often leave us, I would submit to you today. It leaves us with no hope. And so, though we are at the end of Luke, don't check out on me yet. Uh, The fullness and the scale of God's overwhelming and amazing grace is not yet complete. So, with all of that in mind, let's read this together. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 12. It says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed down their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. They remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And we went home marveling at what had happened. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, open our eyes so that we may behold wonderful things in this, your word. Impress upon our hearts the grace and the hope of our resurrected and exalted Savior through the work of your Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith to remember. Well, I'm sure that many of you will be familiar with or will have seen uh, Progressive Insurance's new ad ad campaign that is all about uh, the the replay, right? So it's uh, sort of a football theme. Uh, You know, coaches now have this red flag that they can throw out and they can have an instant replay. Well, it's the same idea, but for life. And so the idea is maybe uh, we could go back 
and we could review some of the things that have happened in our past. Now, my favorite one of these commercials is a, a husband and a wife or a man and his girlfriend, and they've pulled up at the lake, uh, and they're there for a day of boating on the water, presumably. And the woman says, hey, did you bring, or the man comes up and he says, hey, where are the life jackets? And the wife or girlfriend or whatever, she says, well, you said you were going to bring the life jackets. And he said, no, uh-uh, you said. And she said, no, you said you were going to get them. And he said, well, and he pulls out the little red flag and he says, do, do we want to review it? Do we want to, and, and sure enough, he throws the flag and the camera crew comes in and they watch the video and you know how this ends. Um, they take the headset off, and he's just kind of standing over sheepishly like this, and she's giving him a hard time because sure enough, he had said, I will get the life jackets. His replay had, had gone terribly, terribly wrong. Now, I like that commercial for two reasons. One, it's funny, but two... I am so thankful, and every man in here as well, that something like that does not exist. Because the honest truth is, is I find myself on the wrong side of those situations more times than I would care to admit, and if the replay actually existed, it would just be, it would just make it all the worse. It's not that I intentionally forget things, um, but like a couple of teenage boys that I know, and I'm, I'm just pointing generally in this area. I'm not really, there's not, not necessarily there. But just like a couple of teenage boys I know, it's sometimes hard to keep up with all the things that I have said and all the things that I have been told. I need to remember, it would make all things smoother and simpler, but despite myself and despite the efforts of others, uh, I tend to forget. Now, I hope you all recognize how much guts it took for me to stand up here and to say all of that before y'all and so I hope that means that y'all will give me some grace next time I forget something which will probably happen in the next 10 minutes so um, just keep that in mind uh, but I begin there this morning because whatever forgetfulness I display in my day-to-day -day life which is significant it is only compounded it's only more when it comes to my spiritual life and I feel confident when I say that that is true not only for me, but it is true for all of us who are in this room today. Now I say that because as you turn to the pages of Scripture, what you will find is that one of the most consistent calls to God's people, uh, right up there with holiness and faith and love and hope, is the call to remember it seems that we are a forgetful bunch, and that is painfully obvious as we turn to the passage that is before us today. As we've said, Jesus' followers are at their lowest place here. Their master and their Lord is gone. He has suffered at the hands of cruel, sinful men, and now it seems that they might have to face a similar fate, abandoned and alone. Their whole, not, not just Jesus is gone, but their whole worldview has crashed down in the preceding hours. And so, maybe rightly so, they are uh, having a pity party, basically, right? That they are uh, in bad shape. They're licking their wounds. But then, then amazingly, 
this group of women, they, they go to the tomb, and the angel of the Lord essentially throws the replay flag on them, right? If we're sticking with our, our example this morning. He says, remember. And what unfolds after that is really a great lesson to all of us who are forgetful. It's a lesson in why we ultimately believe, not only in the resurrection, but in any theological truths that we claim as Christians. Why do we ultimately believe them? Well, we're going to see it today. And it's also a lesson in what happens when we forget. So a lesson in what happens when we remember reality of all that God has said to us, particularly here, what Jesus has said to us in his earthly life. The impact it will have either way. And so in short, we need faith to remember. So let's look at it together. The first thing I want you to notice in this passage is the clear evidence. The clear evidence. These ladies who are so faithful to their Lord. You know, they are hurting, they are mourning just like the apostles are. Uh, but their love for Jesus is, is so overwhelming that they have to go back to the tomb, right? They, they have to take these spices. They have to do all they can for this one they love so dearly. And there's a lesson in that in and of itself, but we'll leave that for another day. They show up at the tomb uh, with all of their spices, and they are shocked by what they find. And notice that the evidence of what has happened kind of is presented to them in three ways. First, that there's the evidence of what they see. You see that there in verse 2. It says, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. Visible proof that he was not there. Really, this alone, it should have been enough to make the, the light bulbs kind of come on for these ladies, Right? Uh, in terms of what had actually happened, they should now be saying, oh yeah, I remember, right? But we know that that, in reality, is not what happens. In verse 4, it says that they are perplexed. Uh, in John's Gospel, in John chapter 20, in verse 2, it says these ladies, Mary Magdalene specifically, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, they, notice, and we do not know where they have laid him. The assumption was that someone had moved or had stolen Jesus' body. Now look, we know that this would eventually become sort of the overwhelming position of most in that day. The Romans and the Jews specifically assumed, even though they had rolled this great stone in front of the tomb for this very reason, they assumed that someone had come and had taken Jesus' body. And that's still the position that many will take in opposition to the resurrection even today. You know, every few decades or so, someone in Jerusalem will claim, I think this happened last time in 2007, someone will claim to have found the body of Jesus. They'll say, oh, this is Jesus' body, this is his tomb. Now, those things are never substantiated, and I don't know how you could substantiate something like that, but it's never substantiated, obviously. But the assumption is that they will be able to find it. They will be able to find Jesus' body. And so the visual evidence while clear, and it's only going to become clear as we go, 
it seems to be easily dismissed. It seems to be easily avoided. Now, that is until we get to this whole issue of the angels. <laughs> now, visibly, this would have been, as it always is in Scripture, an overwhelming experience. Notice they are scared. They bow down, their faces to the ground. It reminds us of the shepherds at the beginning of Luke's account, right? This heavenly host, these angels appear, and they are sore afraid. Well, Mary is the same way. These ladies are the same way here. Uh, they, They are frightened. But as was the case then, uh, back in the beginning of Luke, these angels were not here uh, primarily to be gawked at, but they came to deliver a message, a message from God. And so the second thing that you notice here under evidence is there's visual evidence, but there's also the evidence of what they heard. You see it there in verses 5 and the first half of verse 6. The angels They said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Here it is, spelled out clearly by angelic beings, no less, the truth of what has happened to Jesus. He is not dead, but he is alive. Clear, tangible proof. I would like to think that this was enough for these women, and maybe it was, we don't know for certain yet, but, but it was enough for them to know that, that they, in this moment, said, got it, yep, he, he is alive, right? But we know that for many critics, especially both then and now, this was not and still is not enough to, to prove the point. Then they would have said, oh, these are a bunch of women. They can't be believed. You can't believe what they say. And now, uh, critics would say, oh, they just made all of this up. Or, oh, they were so distraught. They were in such a state that they are just hallucinating all of this. Their minds are, are playing tricks on them in this moment. Now, that's an actual argument that people use. You can go look it up. People actually use that argument, not, about, not only about these ladies, but about all of the appearances of Jesus. They just say it was a hallucination. So, just take that for what it's worth. Um, but again, uh, the evidence, what they hear, it seems to be easily dismissed. And so... We say, well, okay, well, if the visual can't do it, if the, the audio, if, we, if what we hear can't do it, then how can anybody be sure of what has happened here? Well, that leads us to the third piece of evidence, and it's the strongest and clean, clearest one yet. Uh, and really, it's the most sure evidence that anyone, especially God's people, but anyone could ever need, and it is the evidence of what Jesus had said. You see it there in the second half of verse 6. Remember. Remember how he told you. Remember what he said in Luke chapter 9 and in verse 22. Remember what he said in Luke chapter 18 in verses 32 and 33. Let's turn back there. Or I'll turn back there. You don't have to. Hang on, that's not right. It's not Luke 18, 32 through 33. Sorry, but I can 
tell you what he says. He says, he predicts all of these things. He predicts his death. He predicts his resurrection. He predicts that he will be raised on the third day. And here it is, the third day. What has happened? Exactly what he said. And everybody, us and them, everybody should go, oh yeah, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God, it stands forever, right? And First Peter, he picks up on that verse and he says, that Word that stands is the good news. It's the Gospel that has been presented to you. In Luke 21, hopefully I've marked this correctly this time, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In other words, friends, if they had only remembered none of this, the trial, the cross, the burial, now the resurrection, none of it would have been surprising. None of it should have been unexpected. Jesus had said it, and that was and is all the evidence that is required. Look, over the next few weeks, the evidence for the resurrection is going to become so overwhelming that any then or now who would deny it are just unwilling to see the truth. We believe even now historical things that are far less substantiated than the resurrection. We believe it without a second thought. But even if that were not the case, even if there was not all of this evidence, the reason we believe it The reason we, particularly as believers, should believe it is because Jesus, the Word made flesh, said it. And that brings us to a larger point. Friends, whatever it is, whether it's the resurrection, whether it's questions of eternity, whether it's questions of gender or sexual ethic or justice, or whether it's questions of creation, our arguments are not primarily built on the evidence of what we see. They're not built on the evidence of what we hear. They're not built on the evidence of what science says, built on the evidence of what we say or what we feel. Now, all of that, even biblically, may speak to the issues at hand, but our primary argument is built off of what God said. What has He said to us In His Word. Because what He said will stand when all else has passed away. So, I say to you this morning, Jesus is alive because He said so. He is alive because He said He would be. Now, the rub of all of that is we have to know We have to remember what he said in order for any of that to make any real difference in our personal lives. And we see that truth both negatively and positively as we try to wrap this up this morning. So secondly in this passage, I want you to notice a doubtful response. Doubtful response. We see it uh, there in the disciples and those gathered with them. Now before we give them too hard of a time, Let's point out that for most of us, if not all of us, 
we probably would have reacted. We would have been in the same shape emotionally and spiritually that these men find themselves here, given all that has happened. You know, it's easy for us now to say in retrospect they should have remembered, and they should have. Uh, but so often, what is right in front of us, in this case, the crucifixion, what, what, uh, what, whatever trouble is assailing us, whatever thing is most pressing, that is what colors our whole vision, right? And for them, that is what's before them. Uh, all that they have seen happen to Jesus, all we talked about last week, it's right there in front of their eyes. And so it's hard. It's hard to think back. Not unexpectedly, when these ladies barge in, uh, excited, joyful, wondering, announcing all that they had seen and heard, these men are unconvinced, to say the least. You can almost hear them, oh, get out of here. Quit, quit fooling yourselves. It's all, as Luke says, just an idle tale. It's all just craziness. Don't, don't get our hopes up. Just, just go. Again, those words, they sound familiar to us because they are the same words that the world so often throws at us. The church, when we talk about Jesus' miracles, when we talk about resurrection, when we talk about salvation. But remember, uh, these aren't unbelievers that we hear these words on the lips of. No, these are apostles. Apostles who have forgotten Jesus' words. Apostles who have forgotten His assurances. And so, who here fail to believe the truth even when it's right in front of them? Now look, I think that should give us some level of pause. These men belong to Jesus but like Peter, when he walks out on the water with his Lord, the winds and the waves are so high, and they are so pressing, and they are so with them right there by their side, that their eyes turn just long enough from the truth. They turn long enough from their Savior, and here they are sinking. Their eyes have turned inward, right? It's, it's my problems. It's my tribulations. It's my scary circumstances. And look, all of that's real. I don't, I'm not minimizing those things. But when that's all you can see, then all Christ has said remains distant at best. And what's the result of that sort of focus? A distant focus. An inward focus. Well, it's unbelief. And it's unbelief that I would suggest to you results in hopelessness. That's what these men are in this moment. They are hopeless. Apart from Christ's word to them, what hope do they have? Let's just be real. Death is death, and outside of a few miracles here and there, death was batting a thousand, right? And if Jesus was gone, their whole lives had not only been a lie, uh, but their futures were all but over. Without the gospel, without the reality of, that Jesus had prophesied, there was no hope. 
Now look, I, I know I'm overdoing this. Like I, I'm just, I'm, I'm hitting you with it, hitting you with it. But, but can't you see yourself in these men? Can't you see yourself in these apostles? No, you may not doubt the resurrection, but transpose your bad circumstances, whatever they are, transpose them over the situation with these disciples. Isn't our response so often the same? Anxiety and despair, maybe even hopelessness. Friends, you may think I'm oversimplifying this, and maybe I am, but the reason why we are so often in those states of anxiety and despair and hopelessness is due to an inability or an unwillingness to remember what God has said. There will always be doubt, always, until we are secure in the Word. So thirdly, I've held up two, but I meant three. Thirdly, that leads us to a hopeful remembrance. A hopeful remembrance. And you see it in the ladies first, and then you also see it in Peter. Now we've noted that these ladies return from the tomb, uh, but let me simply put out uh, to you verse 8. Hold out to you verse 8. It says that they remembered. And what a difference it made. They went from mourning, from sackcloth and ashes, from the, the spices, all of those things, to joy and to optimism and to hope. God's Word, Christ's Word had made the difference. Then there's Peter. And I'm not 100% sure what motivated Peter here. I, I'll admit that to you. He, he was a very spontaneous guy. That's why we all love him so much, right? He was prone to, to say things that came into his mind. He was prone to do whatever he thought was the right thing to do, whether it was or not. And so we're not surprised to see him run here to the tomb. Not only that, he was also desperate. He was desperate for any hint of Jesus, that this might not be the end. He, he was hoping beyond hope. And so maybe he runs out on a whim. But you have to believe that something in the, woman's, in the women's story had triggered a memory in Peter. Maybe just enough to think, well, you know, Jesus did say back in Galilee, he did say those things to us, you know. Maybe his heart has not fully grasped it yet, but at least in his mind the seed has been planted. Hope begins to stir. Hope that is doubled at the sight of linen cloths with no body. Hope that sends him home marveling, worshiping at all that he had seen. Now again, is Peter convinced here? I don't think so. When he goes fishing in John's account, he's still pretty desperate at that point, right? He's still pretty dejected. He has not yet seen Jesus face to face. But again, the seed of God's word, the memory of Christ's word, it's growing. And soon he will see the overwhelming truth. A truth that Luke here has already let us in on. Now it's hard, there's a lot more coming with this resurrection, right? Jesus is going to show himself, and so it's hard not to get ahead of ourselves in these moments. And I don't want to do that, but, but Luke kind of helps us do that a little bit in verse 3. Notice how he addresses Jesus. He did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. That, that term Lord 
is one that was given to Jesus when? Upon his resurrection. Luke knows that Jesus is alive. And so even before the angel's pronouncement, he can't help but slide the truth in on us. Friends, what a truth it is. Today, today I have tried to point us to the sure hope, that the sure foundation of God's Word. A Word that, as we will see next week, is all about Jesus, the cornerstone. And a Word that leaves no doubt about His place as the resurrected, exalted Savior. He is alive. And that simple sentence should be enough, and it must color everything about our lives. Again, Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's actually on top of your bulletin there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. Paul has said, if Jesus is not alive, then we are most to be pitied. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the kingdom to the God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Did you catch that? How many things? All things are in subjection under his feet. Last week when you came in, I asked you, put aside all of the things that are weighing you down. At the end, I said, pick them all back up. Now, once again, I'm telling you this morning, the reason that you can put them all down again permanently, whatever your trouble is this morning, you can put it down permanently because Jesus is alive if he were not alive then we would have to bear it we would have to be weighed down by it but because he is alive your circumstances sin Satan not even death none of it can overcome you because none of it can overcome him. And he says to all of us this morning, don't forget it. Don't forget the truth. He's alive. We got to stop. But we shouldn't. Because, think about that. If he's alive and that's true, then when you leave this place, those things that are right in front of you, they are not truer than this. Your bats, all of the hard things, they're not truer than this. He's alive. Remember it. Let's pray together. Father, as we try to wrap our minds around the truth of the resurrection, uh, Lord, what an awesome and amazing thing it is. And Lord, it's, we live in a world that is so often going to dismiss it uh, as craziness, as idleness, as the disciples said here. And yet, Lord, it is our hope. It is what gives us peace as we walk through. The, this, this life is not the end. All of these circumstances, all of these troubles, all of these anxieties, 
Lord, they are, are nothing as compared to eternity. And that's an eternity that Jesus, as the first fruits, has already entered into and has prepared the way for us as our forerunner. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember not only the truth of the resurrection, but of all of your promises, of all of your truths. Lord, what an amazing gift you have left us in your word, a word that never changes and will never change. What other foundation is there? There is none. What other foundation do we need? Father, we don't need anything else. You have said it. You do not change. Your word does not change. And so we can believe it. Lord, give us the grace and give us the mercy to do that even now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.